Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. I think I'm on. There, cool. Well, like Jay will said, I'm Justin Gates. I serve as a pastoral assistant at uh, Riverside Community Church, so not as long of a title as Jay will gave me, but uh, that is okay. Um, today we're continuing the Ruth series, A Tale of Redemption, I think is a ter- sermon or a series title. Uh, and today we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. So if you have one of the pew Bibles in front of you, I believe it's on page 146. But Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll give you a second to get there. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? And Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you, and the Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? And the servant answered, She is is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. And she asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except she has rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. And she fell, she fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I'm not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. And when she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over for her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. 
And Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, this man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. And Ruth the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. And Ruth stayed close to Boaz's, or Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And this is the word of the Lord. The title for today's sermon is, The Outsider is Blessed. And I was, I was preparing to or as I was preparing for the sermon, I was reading an article in the National Geographic, and it was recalling the story of an Afghani refugee named Shirzad and how he fled Afghanistan in August of this past year during the big evacuation of the Afghans after the Taliban took over. And in this article, well, backstory on Shirzad, he was a translator for the American military, uh, and he is in this article talking about all the chaos and the fear that he and his family experienced as they're trying to leave the country. And Trezad, who got separated from most of his family, now lives in Pennsylvania with one of his daughters. He actually has a wife and three other daughters that are still in Afghanistan. But he lives here in Pennsylvania with one of his daughters and three other Afghanis that he worked with in the military. And just take a second to think about what it was like for Shazad, who was not only in a place that was in chaos and falling apart, but to come here without the people that were close to him to be in a culture that is foreign, to be in a place where he has to learn so many different things. How frightening and disrupting would that be for you if you're in his shoes? And the article continued, and it mentioned that a man named Chris rang Shirzad's doorbell one afternoon, and as he introduced himself, he said he was a neighbor from just down the street, and he came bearing groceries and other things for Shirzad and uh, his daughter and the people that are with him. And as Shirzad invited him in, as he was telling of the story of how he came to the United States, Chris mentioned that his church offered English classes for them, and that Chris, who owned a small business in Pennsylvania, actually hires refugees so he can help them get on their feet and have some wage of living. And as this conversation ended, Shirzad and his friends were not elated, or not only elated to have a visitor who wanted to bless them and to, to show kindness to them, but they said that him coming made them feel like they were back home in Afghanistan, Afghanistan because of the kindness that they showed. And in this article, we see Chris, who was a man with great power, with great resourcing, and how he used his power and his resources to bless the foreigner and to make them feel as if they were at home. And I mention this story because it gives us a modern picture of what's happening in Ruth chapter 2. And as we dive into our text today, we'll see the story of a man with great wealth and power or power bless the foreigner to bless the outsider. But more importantly, as we dive into this text, we'll see how God works behind the scenes in order to bless all the people that pursue him, including the foreigner. Will you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is true that it has power, and that it has all authority. Lord, we ask you that you'll be in our space today. Lord, that you will open our eyes to see you, that you'll open our ears so we can hear your voice. Lord, we pray that you'll open our hearts so that we can receive you and be transformed by your spirit. Father, in the ways that I'm weak, will you strengthen me? 
in uh, the ways that I speak, Lord, will you help me to be clear? Will you help me to be concise and to speak your truth faithfully? And Lord, will you be in our time here? May we be refreshed. May we be encouraged. May we be convicted in ways that we need conviction. And ultimately, Lord, would you help us to worship you here today as we dive into your word? But we give you this time and ask that be used for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, picking up from chapter one and what Jay will preached on last week, we know that this, the start of the story happens at the beginning of the barley harvest, and this is typically around April. And we see in verse one that the author is giving us, the audience, some background information that will serve as an important thing throughout the story. And he says in verse one, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. So the author introduces Boaz to us, and we know that, well, his name Boaz translates to in him is might, and the author tells us that he's a relative of Elimelech. Now, the Hebrew word there for relative, it means that he's kind of like an acquaintance, so there's this distant relationship between Elimelech and Boaz, but this small connection between them is going to have a big significance later on in the story. The author also tells us that Boaz was a prominent man of noble character. He was prominent in that he was a wealthy landowner. He had a social standing in Bethlehem and that he was well-respected because of his character. And as we progress through this chapter, this background information serves as a foundation for us to see God's hand at work, not only in the lives of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, but how he does that for us. And the story picks up uh, with the author reintroducing Ruth in verse two, but they add the descriptor that she was the Moabitess. Now, three times in this chapter, Ruth is declared to be either the Moabitess or the Moabite woman. And Ruth even refers to herself as being the foreigner and that she's not like the other servants of Israel. And it makes me ask the question, why is the author trying to point these things out? Well, if you recall back from chapter one, Ruth has given up everything that she has known to settle into a land that is totally foreign to her in order to be with Naomi and to ultimately follow the Lord of Israel. And what I think the author here is doing is that he's mentioning these things to build this tension in the story to show the stark difference between Ruth and the Israelites. That Ruth is the one in the midst of the many. That she's an outsider that doesn't fit into the regular mold of Israel. And these verses continue on with Ruth asking Naomi to go into the fields in order to gather the grain that falls on the ground, which was initially being collected by the harvesters. To give you some context as to why Ruth is doing this, to collecting the grain in this way, we have to go back to Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. And this is when the Lord was speaking to Moses, and he said, When you reap of the harvest of your land, you're not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. And the, basically what's happening here, the Lord is declaring that the harvesters are not allowed to collect the entire crop that they had, but rather whatever was left over, they would give that to the poor and the sojourner or the, this resident alien so that they could survive and eat. Now, Ruth, not having been raised around the Levitical law, she might have not known about uh, this custom or this law, and that could explain why she was asking Naomi this. It could also be that Ruth is trying to show honor to Naomi, that she's asking for permission before she just goes and works in the field. And this is fitting to what we know about Ruth's character so far. But ultimately, 
Naomi gives her this permission to go into the field, and she starts gathering grain from the ground. And in verse 3, the author gives us more insight as to what's happening behind the scenes. And he says that she, being Ruth, happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. That Ruth just so happened to be in the very field that was Boaz, who was of Elimelech's family. Again, there's an emphasis on Boaz being of Elimelech's family. Now, the original audience, as they were reading this book, they would begin to realize that because he was of the same family, that Boaz could serve as the family redeemer, or what's also known as the kinsman redeemer. Now, this idea of the kinsman redeemer goes back to Leviticus 25, and in a sense, what it says is that when a man dies and fails to leave a son, either the brother of the deceased or a close family relative would marry the widow and offer a means of providing a son for the family so that the namesake would continue on. The kinsman redeemer could also provide physical means for the family so that they could survive and continue to live. It's almost as if the author is trying to foreshadow what's happening later on in the story. Now, one might say that this is a total coincidence, but in light of verse 1, the author is showing how God has been at work. God in his own providence and his sovereignty is divinely ordaining root to glean in this field. And as the author continues to unveil God's divine hand, the anticipation for a greater future for both Naomi and Ruth continues to grow. And the first thing I want to leave with you all is that even when we don't explicitly see God's hand at work in our lives or in the lives of others, we need to remember that our God is not a God who remains still and absent. That God is always actively at work, even behind the things, so that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe this? I know that there are many times in my own life where I don't. As I think about ongoing conflict in my family that doesn't seem to end, and as I think about the deep longings in my heart that I want the Lord to fulfill, I still wait on Him, and it makes me question, God, are you really at work? Are you really doing this for my good? And it's in those moments that I draw near the Lord and confess the ways that I don't really trust Him, that I'm reminded of the ways that He's still powerful and He's still sovereign, and He's always at work, even when I don't fully see it. And God often does this through others as they encourage me to remember where God has shown himself to be faithful in my life. And that's why it's so important for us to be continuously involved in each other's lives so that we can recount the ways that God has been faithful to each of us in our own individual ways. And this becomes especially true when the enemy wants to tell us that God is still in silent. And that's why being involved in the church is so vital to our spiritual health and well-being that we can't neglect to gather and we can't neglect to be truly present with one another because the enemy will use that to take hold of us and draw us away from God. Now the story continues in verse four with Boaz greeting his harvesters with a blessing. More specifically, he asks for the Lord, the God of the Israelites, to be with the harvesters. And from this we know that Boaz is a man of God. Not only, is he's, not only is he a man of character, but he's a man of spiritual character, that he's following the Lord faithfully. Moreover, Boaz is a man that chooses to bless others. 
And in a time when the judges ruled in Israel, when men did what was ever right in their own eyes, this serves as a big contrast to these men who are taking from others to bless themselves, who have totally abandoned the ways of the Lord. Boaz is not like these men. And as he comes into the field, he happens to look up and see Ruth, which causes him to ask the question, whose young woman is this? And now Ruth, being a foreigner, probably stood out amongst the other Israelite servants, and that's why he's asking, where did she come from? Who did she come from? And Boaz's servant responds by saying that she was the Moabite woman that came with Naomi. Recall back to chapter 1 and verse 19 when the entire town was excited to see Ruth and Naomi come into the town, that this doesn't happen all the time, so they were excited, or it was the talk of the town to see something so unique happen. And now as Ruth is in this field, the talk of the town is standing in front of Boaz. The servant continues offering information about Ruth, saying that she asked for permission to glean in the field. Again, Ruth didn't have to do this because it was accustomed to do this in Israel, but she wanted to show honor and respect to the people that she was now integrated with. Not only was she showing respect towards the servant and these other people that were in the field, but she was also shown to be a hard worker, that she's been here since the very morning and she's only rested once, that she's continuing to work to provide food for Naomi, to care for her in the ways that she promised back in chapter one. Can you imagine yourself to be in the same situation as Ruth? Of how much courage that she had to display, not only to come to these people and ask for permission to be in the field, but to do that fully knowing that she's a foreigner, that she's not like them, that she'd probably face ridicule or some form of shaming because she wasn't one of them. But Ruth, being this hardworking and honorable woman, would have never guessed that this one small decision to be in Boaz's field was about to bring the greatest blessing that she could ever have imagined, especially as a foreigner. Look at verse 8 with me. And this is Boaz coming up to Ruth directly and talking to her, and he says, listen, my daughter, and this indicates just how big of an age difference exists between Boaz and Ruth, but he says, listen, my daughter, stay in this field to gather grain. Don't go to another one. Follow my servants. I've ordered the men not to harm you. In fact, drink from the water that I've commanded them to collect. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. Here we see that Boaz not only provides food for Ruth, but he's offering her physical protection from the workers in the field so they don't physically abuse her in ways that would violate or defile her body. It's Boaz's kindness and his goodness becomes more and more evident in these verses. And how does Ruth respond? She, doubt, she bows down before him and asks, why have I found favor with you that you notice me, although I'm a foreigner? that Ruth could never have imagined that she would receive this type of blessing because she was a foreigner, let alone see that Boaz, this man of stature, this man of power, is noticing her. But then, she res- then Boaz responds by saying, everything that you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother in your native land and how you've come to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. Now, the keen observer would notice that Boaz is recounting Ruth's story in an almost identical fashion to Ruth's declaration to Naomi when she abandoned everything from Moab to follow her and ultimately to be with the God of the Israelites. 
And Boaz closes his response to Ruth with the highest blessing that anyone could give another person. And he says, may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz tells Ruth of the security and the safety that she now has under the very wings of God. And what a reward that is. I don't know about y'all, but I've always had a strange fascination with birds. I'm not like the people that do bird watching all the time. No offense if you do that. Um, But I've always found that these animals are so remarkable and their wings had to be so strong to carry not only the weight of the bird, but to flap continuously going the long distances that they travel, especially during their migrations. Yet at the same time, these strong wings are so tender in that they care for the vulnerable chick. They, they protect the chick from predators and the impending thunderstorm. And Boaz here tells us that God does the same with us. Do you see God as being your perfect refuge, who is simultaneously strong and tender? Do you see him as being the very refuge that will shield you from the many, many dangers of this world? In Psalm 57, verse 1, David says that he seeks refuge in the shadow of God's wings until the danger passes. Family, our God is capable and willing to shield us through all the dangers that come our way. This doesn't mean that he takes those things away from us instantaneously, but he means that he will be present with us as we go through those dangers. And it means that he will, as he is with us, that he will wrap us with his perfect strength and his perfect tenderness no matter what happens. That God who is strong enough to make the mountains move and cause the seas to still is our shield and our defense. That God is the one who is tender and merciful enough to stoop down to be with the sick and the lonely and he will do the same for us. Maybe you're in a season of darkness that just doesn't seem to go away that you've tried all the medication, that you've tried all the counseling, that you're in a community, and no matter what happens, that cloud of darkness still hangs over you. God says that he is your shield, and he will hide you under his wings and give you a place of refuge. Maybe you're experiencing a period of immense transition that you're overwhelmed with all the things that are being thrown on top of your plate, that you have so many decisions to make, so many challenges coming your way. God says he will be your shield and under his wings will you find refuge. And maybe you're experiencing the most difficult thing that you've ever, that you've ever faced in your life, that you're just hanging on by a mere thread and you don't know what to do. God says that he is your shield, that he will hide you under his wings and give you a place of refuge. Just as God was with Ruth and Naomi as they weathered the storm of loss and famine, God will do the same for us. Our God will always be our refuge and our shield until the danger passes. That is a promise from him that will never, ever change. And it's for God's unchangeable character and his presence with us forever that we can sing for joy, as David says, even when we hidden ourselves under the strong and tender wings of God. We can sing for joy because he is with us. That is our confidence. And we see the same level of confidence exists in Ruth as our story continues in verse 13. And Ruth speaks again to Boaz and she says, my Lord, I have found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I'm not like one of your female servants. Here we see Ruth go from a questioning why to a confident have done. 
Despite being an outsider, Boaz has shown favor to Ruth and blessed her, that Boaz has blessed her so much that she's found comfort and encouragement from him. But the blessing doesn't end there. In verses 14 through 16, Boaz invites Ruth to have lunch with his servants. And this is something that would be totally outside the norm for that culture, that a man of such stature, of such wealth, would never have a woman like Ruth over at his house, let alone dining with his servants. Moreover, the blessing that Boaz continues to provide Ruth is that she has enough food to be fully satisfied, that she's no longer hungry, yet she has so much food that she has some left over. And this blessing continues of providing so much for Ruth that Boaz tells his servants to allow Ruth to collect the grain, not from the ground, but from the stalks, that she's going to collect more than she has been. But what makes Boaz's blessing especially significant is that he uses the power that he has as the master of the fields to tell his servants to not humiliate Ruth or to rebuke Ruth. And doing so, Boaz declares that Ruth has inherent dignity. Not only does she bear the image of God, the Imago Dei, but she is one of them, that she's confessed faith in the Lord of Israel. And though she's come from a different culture and that she might look different, Ruth and Boaz and all these servants are bound together by the love of the same God. And it's important for those of us who have power, whether it be the social power or financial power or racial and ethnic power, to remember and to actively live out this, that all people deserve dignity, that we honor the vulnerable, that we show dignity to the vulnerable because they bear the image of God. And just as God calls us to bless others with the blessing that he gives us, we see Ruth is about to do the same thing. Look at verses 17 and 18. And it says, after the lunch, uh, Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening, that she beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Now, the lunch feast has finished, and Ruth comes back to collect more grain, and the text tells us that she collected 26 quarts. That's like 30 pounds of grain that she collected in the day. Now, as the sun was setting, uh, you can't work in the fields now, so Ruth journeyed back into the town with this huge bag of grain in one hand and a doggy bag, essentially, in the other hand with the leftover food. And just imagine how strong Ruth must have been to carry all this food back into the town. And then in verse 19, Naomi rejoins the story, and she's absolutely stunned to see all the food that Ruth is carrying Remember that she would only have gathered the little bit from the ground, that there's no way she could have received all this food without someone else providing for her. So she asks the question, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. And then Ruth replies, that was from Boaz that she received all this grain. And before Ruth could continue recounting the events of the day, the other blessings that Boaz gave her, Naomi bursts out saying in verse 20, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. And so in these verses, we begin to see the culmination of what God has been doing behind the scenes since the very beginning. Once Ruth mentioned Boaz's name, Naomi knew immediately that this would be the kinsman redeemer, the family redeemer that would help both her and Ruth. 
And it's also in these verses that we see a shift that took place in Naomi's own heart, that it goes from having this deep-seated bitterness towards God. Remember, in the last chapter, she changed her name to bitterness, that she goes from this deep-seated bitterness to having hope and ultimately joy in God. That is despite Naomi's bitterness, that God, in his own kindness, still chose to bless her. Not only did he bless her through Boaz, providing an abundance of food that would last them weeks, but the Lord blessed Naomi with that Boaz would carry on the legacy of the family. Family, isn't it amazing to know that despite our own deep-seated anger that we sometimes have against the Lord or despite the deep-seated bitterness that we have against God, he still chooses to bless us because he's a good father that cares for his children. Now this chapter closes with Ruth finishing telling Naomi about all the things that have happened in the field that day. And Naomi encouraged her to stay in the field for the sake of her own safety, to be under the protection uh, with Boaz, to thrive under him. And Ruth does so for the duration of the harvest, which lasts around seven weeks. And while we all know how the story ultimately ends, Ruth and Naomi were waiting with great anticipation for what would happen next. The book of Ruth is indeed a love story, but there's an even greater more beautiful love story that takes place. You see, Boaz gives us a small picture of Jesus. Jesus is the mightier Boaz to play on his name. And Jesus himself will demonstrate the most sacrificial form of love that anyone could ever display. Ruth was a foreigner amongst the Israelites, but we, in a sense, are foreigners to God. Because of our own sinfulness and rejection of the ways that God has ordained us to live in, we no longer are able to dwell dwell perfectly in his glorious presence. We aren't able to do that in the ways that God originally designed us to be. And instead of being in this perfect relationship with God, it's in our own sin and our own vileness that we have been sentenced to death to bear the full and just wrath from God as a punishment for the ways that we've sinned against him. But Jesus freely chose to leave his heavenly domain his place of prominence, so that he could take upon human flesh and to rescue the foreigner that was enslaved to sin, that Jesus being fully human still maintained the fullness of his deity, the fullness of his godness, and he became the ultimate kinsman redeemer. That being fully human, Jesus has the ability to relate to all that we're tempted with, to all the pain and the suffering that we have and will experience. And it also means that because he was fully human, that he stands as the perfect representative that bore the wrath of God as a punishment for sin. And being fully God, Jesus would become the perfect sacrifice for sin. That Jesus' death on the cross would mean that no other offerings, that no other sacrifices, that no other work of us would have to be continued after he declared the words, hit his finished. And it's through Jesus' work on the cross that our sins have been credited to him. They've been put on him and his righteousness has been credited to us that as God looks down at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. And this is, and for those who believe in Christ's work, we are now fully justified before God himself that our sins are fully forgiven and that they're no longer held against us, that we no longer deserve that condemnation that we have been fully cleaned. And this family is the greatest blessing that God could have ever given us. 
But maybe you're here today and you haven't yet decided to place your faith and trust in Christ's work. And that's okay. We're glad you're here. We're glad that you're wanting to learn about that. But I want to challenge you and encourage you to think about what it would look like to give up everything like Ruth and to pursue God. And maybe ask God himself to help you in that process to turn towards him because he will fully satisfy every one of the desires that we have by giving you himself. And as I close, I'll copy what Jay will does and leave you with the sticky note. That God will always welcome the foreigner. That he will be the perfect refuge that provides an everlasting blessing to all who come to him. That God will always welcome the foreigner and he will choose to bless him to those who pursue the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful again for your word. Father, we are thankful that through your work that you now welcome the foreigner to you. That it's through Christ's work on the cross, Lord, that we have become redeemed, that you're drawing us near to you, Lord, that we will receive the blessing of being able to stand in your presence fully unashamed when that great day comes. Father, I do pray for all of us here, Lord, that you would continue to work in us, that the things that we've heard today, Lord, that uh, they would not fall on deaf ears, Lord, but they would continue to transform and work in our hearts so that we can draw nearer to you, that we can see more of you, Lord, and allow you to be in our hearts um, in all that we do. Help us continue to worship you in this time, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen.